Okay, so um, in chapter 36, the Tanya told us about the purpose of creation and that the um, that uh, use, it, it gives us the Medrash that says that the reason Hashem created the world is because He desired a dwelling place in this lower realm. Dira bitachtonim, as the words of the Medrash, a dira dwelling place in the lowest of places, and that's this world. This world is the lowest in the sense of godly revelation, and there's all types of levels and different worlds, but the lowest, as far as revelation is concerned, is this world. And that's why this is the world Hashem wants to call home. And that is what the coming of Mashiach is all about. The coming of Mashiach is that time when godliness will finally be fully revealed in this world. Okay, and, that's, and then we discussed that that really happened once upon a time when Hashem gave the Torah. During Matan Torah, that was the time of the greatest revelation ever. And that was akin to what the world's going to look like <coughs> when Mashiach will come. That was the basic point of 36. Now, how do we get to Mashiach? How do we get there? Okay, so Hashem has a goal, He has a vision, and that's a perfect world. That's a world of revelation, a world of Mashiach. What brings Mashiach? The answer is very simple. Us and our avodah. The Torah and mitzvahs that we do throughout, from the giving of Torah until the coming of Mashiach, the last 3,300 years, that is step-by-step step bringing Mashiach. And really, when we talk about the coming of Mashiach, we're not talking about something new that's suddenly going to happen. It's much more like Hashem pulling the blanket off everything we're, we've accomplished collectively as a nation for 3,300 years since the Torah has been given. And that is the primary idea of this chapter, where the Tanya is going to discuss how it is that through our Aveda, through our mitzvahs collectively, and in this accumulative, thank you, in this accumulative way, we actually cause this reality of Hashem's vision. And that's, is, that just, meaning, is that going to happen regardless? It seems like it's going to happen regardless. Is that just bring, making it happen sooner, or, or that's the only way to happen? Well, Hashem... Because that already guaranteed... By right, Hashem said it's going to happen, because ultimately things work out the way Hashem sets it out. You know, you know we, we have uh, we have freedom of choice. Is it going to work out this way or that way? We'll take this amount of years or that amount of years. But ultimately Hashem knows what He's doing and this is His plan and everything heads towards that towards that plan. You know, even the first time around Mitzrayim, it could have been 400 years and it was 210 years. So how things play out, only Hashem knows. But, the, you know, Hashem didn't make a uh, vision and a goal and then someone's going to ruin it. You know, he, uh, What's happening? Of course it's happening. It's one of the 13 principles of faith. But the way it happens is through our avoid. So, let's, uh, let's see it from inside. Peter Klam Zion, chapter 37. He says, <clears throat> um, This ultimate goal, this ultimate completion, which is in the, the days of Mashiach, and the resurrection of the dead, which is the revelation of the infinite light of Hashem. Ba'ilam hazeh hagashmi in this physical world. Tolui is dependent. Bimaaseinu va'avidoseinu in our actions and our avoda. Calls man meshach agolos throughout this lengthy goal. It's throughout the exile. So throughout all this exile, we're working on it, we're doing it step by step, and we are causing it to be. Key because hagoyrem schar hamitzvah he hamitzvah ba'atzma. And that's an important statement. It's really based on Pirkei Avos. In Pirkei Avos it says, Schar mitzvah mitzvah. What does that mean? That the reward of a mitzvah is a mitzvah. What that means is that some, you know, there's two types of reward. There's one type of reward, you know, you do, you know, whatever. You do X and you get a reward. You get a payment. 
But the payment has very little to do with the work that you've done. So if someone, I don't know, uh, builds a house and then he's paid whatever he's paid. So the act, the work and the payment have nothing in common. Sometimes, though, the actual payment is the accomplishment of that work. For example, if I build my own house, nobody pays me for building my house. Nobody pays me for doing my lawn. What's my reward for doing my lawn? That my lawn is done. So there the reward and the act come together. And the same is with mitzvahs. It's not like, okay, you put on tefillin and you learn Torah and I'm going to give you uh, candies or I'm going to give you whatever, um, whatever it is. The ultimate reward of our mitzvahs is because the mitzvahs themselves are accomplishing what we're looking for. So when we're doing mitzvahs, when we're learning Torah, when we're acting in a holy, in a godly, in an upright way, we're bringing more godliness into the world. That is the ultimate reward. And that's what he says, that the goyrem schara mitzvah, the cause of the, um, of the reward, is the mitzvah itself. He, because, basiyosa, when one performs a mitzvah, mamshich ha'odom, the person draws down, giluyer and seif this revelation of Hashem, of godliness, lamata from above down here, we're drawing down the godliness to be enclosed in this physical world, in the things that initially were tachas mehemshelas klipas noga, initially they were under the rule of klipa, that's impurity, and received its vitality from it. So, so again, so we're dealing, when we do mitzvahs, we're doing it with worldly things. We're doing it with physical things. When we're putting out tefillin, what are we really using is a cow's hide. That, that cow wasn't in any way re- spiritual, wasn't holy in any revealed way. And we're bringing it down, we're bringing the godliness into it. Shehem kol hadvarim hatahoyrim umutarim. All of the pure and permissible things. Shenasis bahem hamitzvah, maisis that we do with them the physical mitzvahs. So, and here we have an interesting point. We make tefillin. Could you make tefillin from the hide of a horse? No. No. Why not? Because it's not kosher. So what? Not kosher means it's not... What does the word kosher mean in Hebrew? Really, the word kosher. Anyone knows? You know, not our Israelis here, our resident, our resident Israelis. What's kosher? Come on. Let's think about it. What's a gym in Israel? You go to the gym... It's cheder kosher. Kosher. Kosher means fit. That's what it means. So the word kosher means it's fit. So it's, co- it's fit to eat. But it's much more than being fit to eat. It's fit to becoming holy. And that's what, that's what anything that's kosher means. It's something that has the ability to be converted to kedusha. So a cow is kosher. And if I take the cow's hide and I make the filling out of it, it has become something holy. And that's because it was fit for that in the first place. This is Kigoyin, for example, klaf is the parchment of tefillin, mezuzah, sefer Torah. All of these are fi- very physical parchments that become holy. The tefillin, the mezuzah, the sefer Torah. Okamai Merazal, as our rabbis teach us in the Gemara, lohuchsher lemalachas shamayim, ela tehorim umutarim beficha. That you could only use, you could only use for godliness, for mitzvahs, Something that's pure and permissible. Only that can, can a mitzvah be done with it. We can never do a mitzvah with something that isn't kosher. Um, an esrog is a kosher fruit. Is an esrog ever not kosher? Sure. Torah trivia question. Yeah. When? It's always kosher to eat. Almost. No, kosher to use if it's not uh, 
But I'm talking about Arla, the first three years of growth of a tree, it's straight, it's straight. So if I were to use... But, but that's just, but you, you, you can't use that as an extra, no, even if you don't need it. that's correct. Because at that point, it's not able to be converted into Kedusha. And that's what he says here. V'chein esrog no Arla. There's an esrog which is not Arla. Because if it's Arla, it, I can't use it. It's interesting. The, the word for prohibited in Hebrew is Asur. Asur, right? Asur is prohibited. What's another meaning in Hebrew for the word of Asur? Again, I'll turn to the Israelis. <laughs> and the Israelis turn to each other. <laughs> they both join uh, Asur means to be tied down. Well, you especially. Aren't you planning on moving there? He knows, he, he knows, but he doesn't need to worry about I'm it. I'm going to take Opan. Oh, yeah, he, he's going to Efrat. It's okay. <laughs> I, don't know if anybody, I don't know if anybody knows Hebrew. <laughs> So, anyways, so asur means to be tied down. Prohibited and tied down are the same thing. Why are things prohibited? Because they're tied down. They cannot be transformed into kedusha into holiness. So, and here's another. Here's a big one: money, stolen money. I'm gonna give a lot of tzedakah. So I'll rip off someone and give tzedakah. No good. What I did was I took something that's asur, that's forbidden, giving stolen money to tzedakah is like making tefillin out of a horse's hide. Or like taking an esrog, that's orla. It's, it's, just, it's not a mitzvah. Because though that, what, that what I'm using for the mitzvah is tied down to impurity, to the opposite of holiness. And that's what he says exactly here. Umma'os hatzedakah she'enan gezel. Monies of tzedakah, that's not theft. Ukayotze baham and the likes, anything you can, you can fill in the, the blanks for examples. But the point is, so anything that I'm using that's not forbidden, and I turn that into a mitzvah. So, v'achshav shemikayim bahem, mitzvah Hashem. Now that a person is fulfilling with whatever article it is, the mitzvah of Hashem, uritzoynoi, and Hashem's will, harechayis shebahem, oile umisbatil, so the energy that's within that particular, again, food, uh, article, whatever it is, that energy is oil goes up and battle and becomes nullified v'nichlal and included. Be'er in Saif Baruch in the infinite light of Hashem, Shehuritzayne Yisbaruch, which is the divine will, Hamilubesh Bahem that's enclosed now within this particular mitzvah. Me'achar because She'ein Sham Bechinas Hester Panim Klal. When the mitzvah is being performed, so here Hashem is not hidden, to hide His divine light. Um, and therefore, the articles with which we're doing the mitzvahs are becoming kadosh, are becoming holy. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I, I forget what I say in this place, but I'm pretty sure I've shared this in the past, that there is a minhag by some when they pass away, that their active coffin that they're buried in is from the table that they learned Torah on. Or daven by, or give tzedakah, and the rabbi himself did so, right? The rabbi, and the, as did the previous rabbi, and the idea is because the things that I do my mitzvahs with, they have been become, they have they have become, um, been been transformed into kedusha, and they uh, maintain that or contain that kedusha that we imparted in them. So when one does a mitzvah, so first of all the articles with which they did the mitzvah became holy, and also the person. Says the vital soul of a person that are in a person's limbs, in the person's limbs, that is fulfilling the mitzvah. 
who mislabish gamkin basiyazu. So there's, you know, so if I'm doing a mitzvah, so I'm taking a pure tefillin, and those tefillin are becoming holy. Then there's my own energies that are involved in this act, so they're also becoming holy. So the, the, the soul of the person, the vital soul, the animal soul of a person, eleva- gets elevated in the holiness of the mitzvah, the divine will, and becomes nullified in the Ein Sof, in the infinite light of Hashem. So basically what, what, he's ta- what he's showing us is what's going on when we're doing mitzvahs. You know, one might think, okay, big deal, I did another mitzvah, I did another mitzvah, like, what am I really accomplishing? And he's telling us that really we're step by step affecting the world. And we always have to remember that this is totally accumulative. So the mitzvahs that we did today and the mitzvahs we did yesterday and those that our father did and our grandparents and our great-grandparents is all bringing Kedusha into this world. And that's our mission as Hashem's nation in this world. Now, what about mitzvahs that aren't action-oriented? So if you're not action, you're not really dealing with anything physical. Like, for example, Torah study. Right? You're not doing anything, you're not picking up anything, you're not shaking anything, you're not moving anything. So I'm just studying, I'm learning. Or I'm davening, I'm praying, sitting in front of a sitter and davening. So it's not action-oriented. What is their, what is their effect? So he says, and that's what he, he, he jumps right into that. He says, Vigam b'mitzvahs Talmud Torah. So what does that mean? So you're doing a, a mitzvah and then you bring Kedusha. So what does that mean, like, the bottom line, what's a practical level for me? Like, so I put on phone so I know there's sparks of Kedusha, but I don't see it, I don't feel it. So like, right. what does it mean for me? Like, That's an excellent question, an obvious question. And what we're told... I mean, the words make sense, but like, if, if you cut down a tree, you have wood, but like... Right, right. We don't see, we don't see the kedusha that we're bringing into this world. The the general idea is that we in Golos, Golos is exile, and that's a state of where things are concealed. Godliness is concealed. We are bringing more and more and more into this world. The coming of Mashiach is when Hashem then says, "Okay, you've done everything. Now everyone will be able to see and experience what they did, what they accomplished." So we don't see, till then we're building. We're building, 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 bringing, bringing, bringing. And then there is when the lights are turned on. When we're able to ex- see and experience everything that we accomplished through that. And that's why that's called the schar, the reward. The reward is when we see what we have accomplished through everything. So it's a muna. It's a muna and Hashem. Even Mashiach, aside for a second, when the Mishkan and the two base Amigdash, it was the same... The same mechanics work like from Hashem. Like, this is Rabbi Soldenberg. That's my mom. Hello. How are you? Good. Thank God. so much about you. Uh oh. Oh. Yes, <laughs> the, the class is being recorded. Thank you. I'm sorry. You're saying about the Mishkan. The Mishkan. So the same mechanics work that when they were doing holy things. It was creating Kedusha. It's not only when Mashiach comes. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, uh, the fundamental the, principle of the world. Like. The fundamental principle of the world is that we are in this world to make this world a better and a holier place. The Torah and mitzvahs that we perform, that we do, bring that holiness into this world. The holier a person is, the more they're able to sense that. Most of us are regular plain people. We're not like tzaddikim that are able to sense Kedusha and see it at this point. 
But then, again, going back to what the Navi says, what's Mashiach all about? V'nigla kvod Hashem, that the glory of Hashem will be revealed. V'ra'u kol basar yachdav, all flesh will see. But it's not like a new thing that will happen then. Then we'll be able to see what we've accomplished and done now. So you're right. Today, I put on the tefillin, I take them off, I don't see that something actually became holy. Maybe a tzaddik does, but regular people don't. But with our amuna, we know that we're, we're bringing that into this world, and we're bringing that energy, that kayach, into this world. Okay, so now he says, what about words? What about when I'm learning Torah, I'm doing I'm tefillah, so I'm not doing something physical and tangible. What kind of a kedusha am I bringing into the world then? So he says, um, I'm on the line that begins with the acronym, Aleph Samach, about 10 lines down. He says, also in the mitzvah of Torah study. The Kriyashma, or when one says the Kriyashma. Utfila, one davens, one asre. Ukeyotse, bohen, and the like. Welcome. So when a person davens or learns Torah and says Kriyashma, af she'enon ba'asiya gashmis mamish, even though verbals, words, are not action. In the sense of something, you know, deed and action. Excuse me. Which action is part of this physical world that's so physical and, and impure. So therefore the question is, so what am I accomplishing through my Torah study? Or through my tefillah? Nevertheless, a kaimalon, the halacha is that even Torah and tefillah have to be verbalized. Says Kaimelon, we've the halacha is accepted. The hirhur lav kedibur dami, which means, and that's a halachic um, statement or idiom, that thinking is not like speaking. The eno yotze a person does not fulfill their obligation of Torah study. Ache yotzi b'svasav until one verbalizes with their lips. That's an interesting halacha. You're learning yourself. Specifically for learning yourself. Say it out loud? Yes. It doesn't have to be loud, but it should be verbalized. It should be moveless. Yes. And that's a lot of people actually don't know. Um, present company excluded, obviously. But it's an important point that when one, when one learns, we shouldn't just browse with our eyes. We should actually verbalize the words. And the same is with davening. Right? You're, you're, there was a sitter, and you could just daven the whole davening with your eyes without moving your lips. And that's halachically not adequate. Um, even more so, there's something called Birch HaSatorah, right? We have to make a bracha for Torah study, but not if you're just going to do it in your mind. If you're just going to go, you know, think Torah ideas, they are Torah ideas and it's good stuff, but it's not the performance of the mitzvah. The mitzvah of Torah study is to verbalize, the mitzvah of prayer is to verbalize. Now, I want to make a point. Can I tell my wife that? Which part? <laughs> that's the way I, I read, I would read... Out loud. Uh huh. What are you reading? Nobody's listening. Okay. You know, I'm. I'm. You know. I'm. I'm. I'm smarter than to tell you what you could or can't tell your wife. You know, uh, a little experience I have. You know. <laughs> totally hypothetical. Hypothetically, you can tell her. Yes. Hypothetical. Uh, Rhetoric. Yeah. Um. However, but I want to make a point here. We have. We we have a sheer going on here, right? I'm speaking. And you're listening, right. so you're not verbalizing. The answer is, and here there is another halachic rule called Shomea Ka'one, 
When you hear halachically, it's as if you're verbalizing. You're participating in the one that's speaking. So therefore, by a shir, it's not necessary that everybody should be murmuring along. Um, I want to make that point clear. <laughs> um, and that's why when you're asked, even when you're learning on your own, my response was, especially when you're learning on your own. When you're learning with a chavrusa or an ashir, and one, of, one is saying, the other one doesn't have to say. But, because they're both, in, so to say, mishtatef. They're both um, involved in that speech. However, when one is learning themselves, it is appropriate to yes, verbalize. Um, I should say, sometimes we, we want to think something over because we want to think about it in depth. That's perfectly fine. But nevertheless, we should be saying the words of Torah as well. So how does that pertain to what we're learning here? Is because that means that even when we're learning, we are doing a physical act. Now, not as physical as perhaps shaking an estrogen lulav or wrapping to fill in. Right, or walking to shul. However, there's something physical about verbalizing. We have to use our mouth and our lips and our this, and this is physical energy. So again, the Torah that we're studying and the tefillah that we're davening is not merely spiritual. It's also being brought down into my physical body. And that's the point he makes over here. As he says, malan. that's the last two words on a line, about halfway down the page. malan. the halacha is, the rule is, the movement of one's lips does constitute a halachic action because it gets my body involved. And here we have another rule that I don't recall if we've discussed. And that is, our godly soul is holy and wonderful, but it is not on its own able to uh, control or or be the actual motor, if you will, of our body. Our bodies are ran by our vital soul, our animal soul. And our godly soul, if it, let's say my godly soul would love me to do a mitzvah, so it has to, so to speak, employ the animal soul to move the body around. Right? Is that something we discussed? I, just, I don't remember. So that, that's why the animal soul is called the vital soul. Vital means that, that's the, it's the motor skills. It's, it keeps the body going. And the godly soul is a godly, holy soul that is within that. So when I'm going to do a mitzvah, when I want to say the words of Torah and I want to verbalize it, my lips are got to move. My, my mouth, my jaw has got to move. The one moving my jaw is not my godly soul. It's my vital soul. It's my animal soul. So the, the gain here is that when I'm learning Torah, guess who's involved? My animal soul, my body. So I'm bringing the Kedusha into things that aren't holy on their own. And that's even when I'm learning Torah, even when I'm doing something that's seemingly a spirit, spiritual activity. It says, It's impossible for the nefesh olokis, the godly soul, to express itself in lips, upan, the mouth, the lashon, and the tongue, the shinayim, and the teeth. Right? He's, he gets very nitty-gritty, but he's, he's bringing out how, yes, every part of us is being affected by the mitzvahs that we do. Hagashmim, the physical parts of us, kiim only al yidei nefesh hachiyunis habahamis only through the vital animal soul hamalubeshes beevrei haguf mamish that's enclosed in the physical or bodily limbs. So therefore, they are all getting involved in doing the mitzvah and the kedusha, the holiness of the mitzvah is affecting my animal soul and my body and all of the different parts that get involved in it. Now, what if, and now he says something very beautiful and very, very profound, 
when you say, when you verbalize, there's also a lot of levels of how much energy one can exert in what they're saying or doing, right? You can do things and you can put in your energy, put in your chayas in it. And all of that energy that one expends in a mitzvah, in davening, in learning, the more energy one expends, the more of their animal soul they're getting involved in the mitzvah. The more kedusha they're bringing into themselves, right? So you could you see a person davening that's like you're not sure really if they're awake or not awake, or they're not sure if they're awake. They say the story of a person who was dreaming that he was davening. And he woke up and he realized he was. <laughs> right? So sometimes you could put so little energy in it that you're not sure if you're awake or not. But then you have people who really get into it. And they're really dominating and they're really studying Torah. And you, you see that they get fully engrossed. So really all of that energy that they're expending in a mitzvah is bringing Kedusha into my soul, into who I am. Um, and that's what he says here. He says, V'chol ma shemidaber b'koach gadol yoser. The more that a person speaks with greater koach, with greater energy, humachnis umalbish, he's in clothing, more yoser koichis menefesh achiyunis, more energies from his vital soul, b'diburim elu in these words. And this is what we say, v'zeo shekosov, this is what the verse means when it says, Call um, at I'm pretty sure that that is from Tehillim. Let's give a look who can find it first over here. This is, All my bones shall be clear. Five Psalms 3510. So it's chapter 35, Pasuk 10 in Tehillim. But we also say it in Davening on Shabbos, in the Nishmas, right? On Shabbos morning. Um, after we we'll say the uh, you know the Ashrei and the Halukas, right after Az Yashir, right exactly. We have a very beautiful part of davening, which we only do once a week, and that's the Nishmas, Nishmas Kolchai. Mm-hmm. Um, we also do it at the end of Haggadah Shel Pesach on Pesach Eve, uh, by the end of the Seder. For those who still remember what's going on at the end of the Seder, <laughs> um, but the Nishmas talks about it's the prayer of the Neshama. And how the neshama just, you know, thanks Hashem and soaring to Hashem. Um, I'll digress for one moment. Um, the previous Rebbe of Chabad, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, he came to America in 1940. Um, he, was, he sat in prison in Russia for Yiddishkeit and a tremendous warrior of the Jewish people. But he was, so he was the previous Rebbe of Chabad. He came to America and he came together with his elderly mother. Uh, he, with his wife and, and, and daughter and son-in-law and his mother. So his mother already at that time was a, quite an elderly lady. Her name was the Rebetzin Sternasar. She was elderly lady. She had lost her husband years before. And she was basically confined to her bed. But she would, you know, study every day, tell her, and she would dive, and she was a great person. So it was on Shabbos, Parshas Bishalach, which is Shabbos Shira, the Shabbos of song, and she was in her bedroom upstairs in what, 770, the World Headquarters today. She had an apartment upstairs. She had an attendant. And she says, you know, today is the Shabbos of song. Today we have to daven on a whole different level. She's bringing my sitter. And she was in her bed and she was reading the davening of the sitter. And she came to Nishmas. And during the Nishmas, her soul left her body. As, wow. she, as she was saying that prayer of the Nishama, her, she passed away on that day. And that was the, that was the 13th of Shvat in 1942. And she's buried in New York, we're right next to her son, and later her, the Rebbe himself. It's all that area of the Ohel. 
Um, but she passed away saying the Nishmas. Um, okay, back here. That was just a little uh, advertisement. One quick question. When you're reading with your eyes, is that your, is that your spiritual soul or your physical soul? Spir- spiritual. So your eyes are more going to be connected. Because you're not really doing something with your eyes. Your eyes are just open. You're not doing, it's not an action. Reading is not considered an action. Versus verbalizing yeah. is an action. It's an act. I mean, I guess technically you had to open your eyes to see, but but you don't. If your eyes are open, right, you, you don't do it, something to the, see. The muscles in your eyes are like guiding that your eyes, but I don't know. He doesn't seem to. Uh, maybe there's something to that, but definitely not enough to uh, okay. make it count, so to speak. Um, but now he's saying that when we dive, so here we say in Nishmas, "Kol atzmosai tomarna Hashem michamocha." What does it mean, "Kol atzmosai"? All of me together proclaims who Hashem is. And that's why, traditionally, when people daven or learn Torah, people sway, people get involved, people make different gestures. Right? It's not like we're looking to make a lot of noise, but we, we try to get fully engrossed and involved. It's not just this uh, you know, intellectual exercise. Um, I've heard it said about one of the great Torah scholars, Rabbi Kiva Eger. Kiva Eger was a great Torah giant, probably lived, I'm going to say, 200 years ago. He was the rabbi in Posen. Um, wrote many works that are read till today, very much so in the yeshivas. So they say that he had a great yeshiva there and he was a great Torah genius. And um, so they they had someone come to the yeshiva who was a brilliant student, but he wasn't Jewish. But they didn't tell him. They didn't tell Rabbi Kiva Eger that the student wasn't Jewish. They just entered him as a great uh, Talmudic scholar. And he joined the yeshiva and was there a couple of weeks and he was really one of the top students in the yeshiva. And after they asked Rabbi Kiva Eger, what do you think about the new student? He says, uh, you know, he's, he's a brilliant student, but there's something, something not Jewish about him. <laughs> they say, why? What's, what's not Jewish about him? He says, I don't know, but when he learns, there's no movement. There's no involvement. It's just, it's just like an intellectual thing. He's a genius, but something's missing. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because that is, you go into shul, everyone's all over the place. Because there is the idea, it's not just about saying a few words, it's not just about things. It's about getting involved, putting myself totally involved, and that has to do with getting my whole being involved in, as, a, as one studies there. And so now he concludes this piece with a very interesting statement that's based on a very fascinating story in the Gemara. And I'll just give you the background, background, background of the story. One of the great women or women of the Talmud was a woman, her name was Bruria. Remember Bruria? Bruria was the wife of Rabbi Meir. Right? Rabbi Meir was one of the greatest um, sages of the Mishnah. Um, perhaps he's the most often quoted sage in the entire Mishnah, Rabbi Meir. Um, and Rabbi Meir's wife was Bruria. And Talmud has all types of interesting things about Bruria. Very interesting woman, very brilliant woman. And she, it seems, in her own right, was a great Torah scholar. So the Talmud relates that one time Bruria was by the yeshiva, in the yeshiva, or whatever, and she saw one of the students studying, but he wasn't verbalizing anything. He was just, she saw him just, just you know, with his eyes, learning Torah. And she takes, she tells him, she says, young man, she says, you're going to forget everything you learned. That's what she said. And the Gemara goes on to relate that, yeah, that's what happened. He forgot everything. Wow. So his, his question is why? why? Just because he didn't verbalize, he forgot? Like, what's going on? So Tanya now gives an explanation to that story. And he says the following. Again, I'm going to explain, then we'll read it inside. He says, why do we forget things? In general. 
fine. Some people say I have a better memory, I have worse memory. But the concept of forgetfulness, put it this way, what, do, what don't we forget? Things that make an impression on you. Things that, exactly, things that connect to us deeper. Things that make a greater impression on me, things that are more connected to me. The more something connects to me, the longer it's going to stay by me and the less I'm going to forget it. And something that really impresses me all the way, I'll never forget. Right? Now, Torah. We study Torah and we forget. Well, sometimes more, sometimes less. The reason we forget Torah is because Torah is divine. It's divine wisdom. It's Hashem's wisdom. And we, or I, or whatever, the person studying is not so divine. So therefore, it doesn't really connect to me and then it can just disappear from my mind. The more we, so to speak, stamp the divinity into ourselves, the more it becomes part of us. And therefore, the less we're going to forget it. Now, so what Bruria was telling the young man, he said the following. When you just study Torah in your mind, but as an entire human being, you weren't affected by it. You didn't get your entire humanity, your entire vital soul involved in the Torah, so it comes and goes. Also, you know, could there, it be that um, Moshe Rabbeinu gave over the Torah, he gave it over verbally? He did. So that had more of an impact. Probably. Of course he did. Of course he did. Of course he did. I know, you know, my father is a rabbi for many, many, many years, and I heard from him, but probably this is a famous rabbi joke, but he says, as a rabbi, he knows when it comes to a speech, he says, here, once in a while you get a good joke. He says, a good joke, he can only use in a speech, like, um, he said, maybe once every six months, because people remember a joke. He says, a story, a good story, he says you can do two, two times, two times in six months a good story. A good Vartora, two times in one speech. <laughs> he says, no problem, you just give it to them. You know? because, because what happens is, it doesn't, you know, in the nice, interesting, onward, right? But when we, when we get involved, when we bring that into us as people, so then it's not as fleeting. And that's what he says here. He says, This is what the verse says, That all of my limbs, everything should get involved in the, in the Torah that I learned, in the Tefillah, in that I daven. This is what our teachers taught us. This is actually what Bruria said. That if the Torah that we learn become set in all of our limbs, then mishtameris, it's guarded within us. V'imlav, if not, if it's just something that remains in the mind, eina mishtameris, it's not guarded within us. Why is that? Ki hashikha, because the forgetfulness, the fact that we forget the Torah that we study, himiklipas haguf, that's from the klipa, from the unholiness that there is in our body, and in the vital animal soul. Because they come from this klipa, this shell, so to speak, this unholiness, which can become included within Kedusha. In other words, my body and vital soul can be included in Kedusha if I get them involved in the Torah that I'm learning. When one weakens the, the negative energy of the body. And instead brings in the energies of the body and the holiness of the Torah or the Tefillah, then the Torah and Tefillah become part of us and then they're much um, longer lasting because they're imprinted upon us. So that was, that's the idea. What he's telling us in the basic idea is that the Torah misses that we do have to have an effect. 
They have to affect the world around us and they have to affect ourselves. And that's why it's so important to verbalize it. And that's why it's so important to be energetic about the Torah that we learn and the tefillah that we daven because in that way we're bringing the Kedusha into all parts of ourselves um, and making it much more part of who we are. And it's interesting, Dr. Rebbe himself, the author of Tanya, when he would daven, traditionally what, what's, what's told over is that he would get so involved in it that he would, he would jump, he would um, bang with his hands and in fact it was dangerous because sometimes he would bang the walls and he would start bleeding. But he was so engrossed in his davening, he didn't notice. So this, had, this became a big issue. You know what they did? Thank you. You know what they did? They patted, they patted the walls around where he davened. Because, you know, it might look a little bit odd, but they didn't have a choice. But what he wrote, he lived. And, um, and obviously it's a lesson for us, when we, when, whatever we do, when we daven, when we learn, to be able to invest real energy in it, put our, put our, put our chayis into it. So thank you. So that's the first big point of this chapter. Now, what time is it here? Hop around a few more, a little bit, a little yes, more. Sir. Okay. This is my dad's last time learning at this table. Why is that? We're leaving Sunday. Right? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's making aliyah. Sunday? Wow. Slacha, good to see you. All right, good to see you. Thanks for coming. Next week. Mr. Shem. Okay. Mr. Shem. See everyone. See you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so really, Sunday you leave? It's a sham. Beautiful. Wow. Sweet. Tremendous haslacha. Amen. Amen. Um, so I'll, I'll just give you the, uh, at least what, he, what the next point is going to be. Now, then, the next point, he takes this and he goes much further. He says, when we do a mitzvah, so we affected the things that we did the mitzvah with. We also affected our own body and our own animals. But really, there's so much more that goes into an action that we do, which is? What goes into every action that we do? Our energy. Where does our energy come from? Our soul. Yeah, but what, ener- what c- continuously gives us the energy every day? We have to eat. Uh-huh. We have to drink. There's a number of things that go into everything that we do. Right? And when we do a mitzvah, the effect is a ripple effect. The kedusha doesn't only affect the literal item, the actual item that we did the mitzvah with, or my or the the energy that I put into that mitzvah, but also everything that led into it is all elevated through the mitzvah that we do. And if you think about it, that that effect is a very broad one ultimately, because so much goes into one act that we do. Um, if we have take a pair of tefillin, so there's the actual tefillin, but there's that tefillin had to be made, had to be created, someone had to make it from somewhere, someone had to be paid for it. All of that ultimately goes in, becomes part of the mitzvah that we've done. Because what we have to understand, and the point of this chapter is to explain how through our mitzvahs collectively, the entire world is being transformed, is being, kedushas brought into the entire world. So that is because the things that we do are not in a vacuum. They're created from and through so many different things that go into it. And ultimately, the one mitzvah that we do has that general effect on everything that leads into that mitzvah. So that's what he, can, uh, he uh, begins here. We'll read a couple of lines. He says, Zeus He says, This and more so. The power of the vital soul. That's enclosed in the words. Of Torah study. Or prayer. Or anything 
like that, or mitzvahs maisius, or physical mitzvahs, action-oriented mitzvahs. Harikol giduloi v'chayusoi mehadam. All, all of the energy that I do comes from my bloodstream. Shuhumi klipas nogamamish, that my bloodstream comes from klipa. Shein kol ochlin umashkin, all the foods and drinks. Sha'achal vishasa, that a person ate or drank. Vinasudam, and they became my blood. Sha'ayutachas memshalta, all the food and drink initially were not holy. Viyanku chayusa mimena, they received their energies from klipa. Va'ata, and now. Through the mitzvah that's being performed, it's transformed from bad to good, from unholiness to holy, and becomes included in holiness. Through the vital soul that came out of that blood, uh, out of the food, and my vital soul now was enclosed by in these letters. Or in this action, which these words or this action are the internal will and desire of Hashem, Belishim has without any concealment. So therefore, therefore he says, everything that leads into it, the food, the drinking, everything that led and gave me the ability and the energy to do this mitzvah, all becomes part of the mitzvahs that we do. And this is the idea that the Rambam writes a lot. He says that ultimately a person, everything that we do, you know, we, there's so much that we do in one day, so many things. But if we have certain goals and everything leads into those goals, and we don't learn Torah all day, we don't daven all day, we don't do mitzvahs all day, but everything that we do can contribute to them, so then everything becomes part of serving Hashem. So, for example, sleeping. Sleeping is not a holy activity. Everyone sleeps. All people sleep and all animals sleep. Everyone sleeps. Sleeping doesn't, it's not a holy activity. But if sleeping is there to give me the energy, and with that energy the next day I do mitzvahs and I help people and I daven, so the sleeping also becomes part of the mitzvah. And ultimately that's what the Mishnah means, kol masechel l'shem shamayim, that all of one's actions and all of one's behavior and throughout the day can all become holy through the mitzvahs that we perform that are really the result of everything that leads up into them, into those mitzvahs. So that's what he says here. And then as the chapter goes on, he, he takes us broader and broader and explains how every person does his portion and everyone has their own parts of the world that they are responsible for. And only Hashem knows and brings people to wherever they go. Like a person, for example, goes to Israel or is going to move to Israel. So one might think it's just because, well, I decided because it's time. But really that's because Hashem knows that that's where my mission lies now. And Hashem brings every person to where they have to go in order to accomplish what they have to do in the place they have to do. And it's up to us to just uh, get the job done. Uh, we don't know why we're going to places necessarily. We're brought up. Sometimes we have no idea. Sometimes we're, we end up somewhere we weren't planning on being there at all. And that's because Hashem brought us there to accomplish something. And we don't know what specifically. we got to do the right thing um, and fulfill each one our job of bringing Kedushan to every part of this world. Amen. So you should have a tremendous